0: Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's glad to, uh, glad to see you today. I'm Brian Yakey. I'm here uh, filling in for Ben. As you might have seen, if you get the weekly email, he and his uh, wife, Crystal, tested positive for COVID-19. Unfortunately, uh, they're doing well. They've got mild symptoms, and they actually had their newborn tested Finn, and he was negative. So uh, continue to encourage them. Send them emails, um, uh, messages, and let them know that you're thinking uh, about them this week. But this week, of course, he was super excited about starting this series. Um, and I'm sure you've seen all the pictures and the videos and everything that's been going on uh, along with it. Um, but we're starting a new series this week called Christmas Vacation. Um, I, this is a pretty uh, popular... Um, everyone, everyone, I think, in America probably has a clue what that means. Uh, but we're, we're kicking this off today. And the hope, the hope today is... Um, that we can think more accurately, more clearly about peace and what peace means. Because as we move closer to Christmas, it seems to be the thing that we hope for is peace. We sing about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And during Advent, our focus kind of, we, I think, hope to draw our, our mind towards that. But it seems like so many things are pulling us in the opposite direction from peace. Because right, when we move towards Christmas, it's like this hurriedness that we have about everything we do because we've got a list of things that have to get done. We need to make uh, all these purchases of presents. Uh, we need to make sure that the snowblower is ready to go because eventually it's going to fall, right? Uh, we, we want to get everything done. And so it's not very peaceful. And then you add to that family dynamics, because you've just had Thanksgiving and you've got Christmas coming up and possibly New Year's, and some people you're forced to hang out with that you really don't want to be around. Um, there is little peace when you're around uh, potentially a, a family member or an acquaintance that you are not excited to be uh, around. And you yourself might think, well, I'm, I'm pretty peaceable. I'm pretty peaceable myself. You know, I don't yell at people on social media, that kind of stuff. Uh, but you don't really have to turn the news on for more than about 30 seconds before you realize, well, we're not in a very peaceful time. Within about 30 seconds of scrolling through your news feed on your phone or, or watching on a television, you realize this is not a very peaceful place in time that we live in today. And so a lot of us think of peace as an idea. We think of it as, as maybe uh, something to be learned. We think of it as something that we can maybe even force. But the thing is about peace is you can't throw money at a problem and create peace. It just doesn't work like that. You can't legislate peace. You can't enact a certain number of laws that will create peace. Not within your heart, right? And each generation has tried to create peace in ways that ultimately were a failure. We might have tried um, doing economic uh, equality. If we just have economic equality, everyone will get along. Everyone will be fine. Or maybe uh, we really uh, like democracy in this country and we think that would work everywhere. So let's just make sure that everyone has a chance at democracy, whether they want it or not, because that will allow for peace. We might uh, push for furthering science. We might, again, try to legislate it and say, hey, my worldview is the one that will help people have peace. So let's just pass a whole bunch of laws that will let people have peace because if we do this, it will get done. Or maybe, this is kind of one of those family things too, uh, we'll just embrace tolerance, and I just won't say anything to anybody to make anybody angry uh, because that's, that's what will happen. Peace will happen if, if we just have extreme tolerance. But as Christians, we, I think we realize Uh, And if you were new to Jesus in here, uh, it's maybe the reason you walked in the door. But Christians realize that peace isn't actually, it's, it's not a thought, right? It's not just some kind of a momentum that you can carry through life, but it's actually Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ and what he embodies that helps us as we go along. Now, he's not just kind of the definition of peace. He's embodied in peace. He helps us with wholeness and, and self-assurance, soundness, wealth, welfare. Uh, he is the peace of God. And, and humanity can't really understand peace at the deepest level until you're able to understand and, and embrace Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in Micah 5. This series um, will take us through some familiar passages, some unfamiliar passages as it comes to Jesus, the Messiah, and how um, we learned about him through the Old Testament. So the first one we're in Micah, it's tiny. If you're flipping through your Bible, it'll just zip right past. If you, if you don't, you're allowed to look it up on your phone or go to the front of the Bible and look it up. It's fine. But Micah um, is a prophet um, in the time after, um, after Israel was the big world power, right? So it's a divided kingdom right now. And so Micah is, is there. He's um, from the town of Morseth Gath, which is kind of southwest of Jerusalem. He's really in the middle of nowhere. We would call it in the middle of nowhere at this point. Um, he's in a part of the country where those who are... Um, less privileged live. They're farmers, they're heavily agrarian, of course. Um, and so we see that a lot of this message that God speaks through Micah is to those who are the poor, uh, the outcast and the afflicted in Micah 4.6. Um, and you know, Micah is really directing, he's directing this message from God to the power centers, to Samaria and to Jerusalem as a representative of those who have less, right? Those who are the outcasts. And so this all leads towards saying, hey, everything uh, is going to point towards this Messiah, this one that was promised, the one that we heard about thousands of years ago. This is what all of these, um, this, that God's telling us is about. So there are three things that, that God really is trying to convey to the people uh, about the upcoming judgment. Like, these are the three reasons that judgment is coming. The first is their worship of idols. And worship of idols is not something that um, I think we know about intellectually. We know about idol worship, right? It's not part of maybe most of our lives and our culture. And this isn't even uh, so much um, consumerism and, and trying to get as much as you can. An idol is what stands between you and God, what keeps God from having access to your heart. So this can look like anger. And of course, Christmas has a way, oddly enough, of bringing anger into our lives, whether that's being around people we don't want to be around, uh, living in the situation of knowing that we, we can't achieve the goals that we would like to achieve, and this anger ends up being what stops God from being able to get to our hearts. And when we we can't connect with God, then it makes it really hard to look out for the people who are around you, to look for the people around you who do need help, those who are marginalized. It's hard to do that when you can't have peace. The second thing that Um, that they were doing because of the first was they were ignoring the poor and the marginalized. When, after the series we just did, Exodus, Israel finally moved into the promised land. All of the land was divided up between the parts of the family, and that was given to that family to have forever. And there would be times in circumstances where someone would sell off a piece of land or they were in debt and they lost a piece of land. And there would be this year of Jubilee every 50 years where that land would be brought back to that family. But by the time you get to Micah's day, they've thrown that all out of the window. So they're charging high interest rates on loans. Uh, They are using bribery and, and very high taxes. And those who already were struggling... Didn't have a chance to get ahead and even uh, eat. And the final thing that God says, "Hey, um, this is what's going on in your land. This is why judgment is coming." Is the friends that they were that they were around, the people that they had decided uh, were going to be part of their lives. Because when we walked in, when they when they came into the promised land, they were supposed to totally quit. quit um, um, pardon me, my brain's not working today. Uh, they were not supposed to be um, part of the cultures around them, but they didn't do that, right? They said, well, we'll commit to treaties with these people. We'll have agreements. We'll let them live with us and we'll let them marry into our people. And so over time that had eroded what God had hoped for his people, and that's kind of what we end up with today. We, in this century, we, we have a tendency to allow things of the world to just kind of creep in bit by bit, not that what's around us is all evil, but that it somehow gets to that point where it's an idol in our life, it blocks us from access to God, and it keeps us from being able to experience peace. Micah is this large cycle... Of a conversation that God's having with Micah and Micah is telling to the people of, "Hey, there's judgment coming, but I have a promise for you." Again, there's a judgment coming, but I have a promise for you. Time and time again, we see this cycle as you read through Micah. and I would encourage you to read through it. you could do it this afternoon. It's only a few chapters. But today, um, we see in Micah chapter uh, 1, the idols that they had there, Micah 1, 7, we see exactly what it was that was getting between them. All of her idols will be broken into pieces. All of her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images. Since she gathered her gifts from wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will be again. This is what was getting between God and his people. So when we go on into it, we see that it does directly apply from them to us. So as we move on to Micah chapter 5, this is our main text for today. Micah 5, 1 through 5. Let's uh, look at this together. "'Marshal your troops now, cities of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times.'" Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord our God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This king, this new king, is, is a judge, right? He's he's a judge. As part of what uh, kings do is they make judgments uh, through their reign, and he's using these words that these people of Micah's day would understand. This idea of being in a siege. There's few things as terrifying as being locked in your town, knowing that there are troops right outside the wall. And so what Mike is saying is, uh, hey. Here's, here's the deal. The judgment, it's done. Through God, he said, the judgment is done. This is, this is over. Right? There's no, there's, no tending, there's no fighting this. The Assyrians, the Babylon, Babylonians are coming. It's just an affirmation that what is going to happen is going to happen. But between each of those sections where there's judgment... Uh, we see that there's this promise of peace that is to come. And the big question of this text um, is how someone goes from really unrest to peace. How do you switch from troops, right, getting a battle ready to security? How do you switch your mindset from, from being under siege to being at peace, Micah 5 starts with this unrest and disorder, but it ends with security and peace. um, And it doesn't get there through conventional ways, right? The way we would uh, hope in that world would be all of the troops would get together, they would walk out of the city, they would defeat everyone, and they would be at peace. But that's not what we get there. The bridge from that judgment to the peace is this. Uh, again, Micah 5:2, 2 to uh, uh, 5a. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out from you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned from the time until the time when she is in labor. Bears a son, and the rest of his brothers join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd the flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Right? It doesn't matter if we're talking about Micah back in the Old Testament, if we're talking about us today. Ultimately, peace doesn't come through money and power and legislation. It doesn't come through troops and warfare. It comes through a tiny baby born in a tiny town. And Bethlehem, when Jesus was born there, was most definitely a tiny town. Podunk seems about appropriate. Right? But God always does this interesting thing where he flips what we expect upside down. Because we would expect a king to come in great power, probably from the sky or something like that. But he doesn't. He comes as a tiny baby. And God seems to really enjoy that, doing things completely opposite of what we expect. And so when we, when we look at that, we find the truth through Scripture that God chooses, chose barren women to start nations, right? He chooses kind of a, a misfit, runt, To be his ideal king. He chooses 12 really ragtag people to be his disciples and then spread the gospel over the entire earth. He always does that. He does it today too, right? He uses ways that we wouldn't expect uh, to do great things in this world. Paul in the New Testament um, really pulls this out as he's writing to the church at Corinth and, and he's trying to help them understand, uh, here's the deal, this is, God works opposite the way you would think they would because the Jews in the first century wanted to overthrow Rome. But what, what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 1.25 is, "...for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength." Right? So we're going to put up a photo here. This is the traditional site of um, Bethlehem, of, of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. And it's hard from the picture to look at it and be like, I don't know the scale of this thing, but it's actually quite a short door. So this is where traditionally um, uh, we believe that Jesus was born or, or the people of Bethlehem do. So the door is short to where you actually have to bow to get through, to see what's behind the door. And the interesting thing is that that forces you to be humble, right? You're not going to walk in there proudly. And the same thing happens in our life, right? We we have to be humble, but there aren't doors that we normally have to walk through. We don't normally have to humble ourselves to, to get through life. There is no door to force us into humility, but God gives us He gives us the chance to be humble. Second Samuel five one and two, we read this, this is about David. All the tribes and the Israel of Israel came to David at Hebron and said. We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will be my shepherd, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. And unfortunately, uh, many of the people in in Micah's day, they just do not understand God's plan. That doesn't make sense because not very long before, they had been a world power with a very strong army, right? And the problem with um, us today is when we think we can do it ourselves, we tend to get really arrogant, right? When you have enough successes, you think that you kind of know it all. You think that. We, you can go through anything, but by nature, it's the opposite, right? Arrogance scoffs at the idea that a baby born in Bethlehem could truly be the answer to peace. But what the Christmas story tells us is, is that we have to look at things differently than we expect. God said, no, it's the opposite of what you expect, And when we humble ourselves to look to God for help, then we now have the opportunity to find peace. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? So Micah, this happened literally hundreds of years before Jesus came, but it came back around when Jesus was born. So we read this in Matthew 2, uh, 1 1 through 6. Matthew 2, 1 through 6, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all in Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he had them uh, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, st- who will shepherd my people, Israel. So we learn um, about this person, Herod, right? Herod is a, a, a title, Uh, really was a puppet king of Israel. Israel did not choose Herod as king, but Rome put him as a ruler over the people of Israel. And he did whatever was good for him, and evidently he got very, very extremely paranoid near the end of his reign, and he did everything he could to protect that power that he had for those 37 years, which kind of boggles my mind, but 37 years and you can tell that in part uh, from Matthew 2, there's, there's an interesting little um, a piece of that passage. And later, um, we see not only was he worried about it, but then he also carried out the killing of baby boys, ages two and younger. And in a town the size of Bethlehem, about 1,000 people, that was probably 20 children because he was worried about A baby was going to unseat him from throne. But it turns out Herod also had killed his political rivals. He had also um, killed his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, and his favorite wife. I don't get that, but his favorite wife um, and his eldest son, which is probably why why, not only he, but the rest of Jerusalem were kind of freaking out when these magi showed up. Because they said, we know how wicked Herod can be. We don't know where this is going to go. So when Herod heard of Jesus' birth, he asked them, asked them where, he'd be, where he would be born. Again, Matthew 2, 5, and 6 they told him, Bethlehem in Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And if you keep coming, we keep, keep reading after that, we see that what's coming is Jesus, who will bring God's people peace. And Jesus wasn't born into a peaceful setting, right? Now, we call that period of of history the Pax Romana, but the peace that Rome was able to achieve was done so very brutally by overthrowing people and subjugating people and and taxing people. He wasn't born um, into a time of peace. He was born under a tyrant, under a king who was very wicked, But it was the same thing with Micah 5, right? There was a time where warring countries were coming in. They were trying to take over all the little last bits of Israel. They were trying to surround them, strike them down, and drive them out of power. And it's telling that then hundreds of years later, Jesus came into this world, the same thing, this little child, this frail little child. And what he's trying to say is that you must let go of your need to control and instead have faith in what God does. Because if God wasn't in control, a baby coming in the first century would not have made any sense whatsoever. The only way to get from where you are, are to where you want to be with peace is through that gift of Jesus Christ and he came in the most fragile way possible he was found in a manger a feeding trough for animals so how do we apply this to our lives right that even as new new as the the arrival of Jesus was we're still talking about thousands of years, right? It's, it's We don't live in the Middle East. Uh, we don't live in a time um, that they did. But God's people were reckless and selfish and materialistic, right? They would go to uh, church, uh, synagogue, right? They would go to synagogue, and then they would live their life the rest of the week the way they wanted to, They slept well at night knowing that they uh, were you know, maybe living the way they want, but not looking out for the people around them. So it doesn't sound all that different from 21st century America, that we could come here, we could enjoy a few Christmas songs, we can uh, listen to a message, shake some hands, walk out the door, and then forget that just a few miles down the road, there are people who are doing their best to pull their lives together and ignore them, right? We could ignore them instead of spending time investing. So is it all that different from Micah's day to the first century to the 21st century? It turns out we're all people. We all tend toward being selfish. We all tend towards ourselves as opposed to uh, others. But, and as Ben likes to say, he likes big butts. But in God's mercy, there's hope for peace in our lives. And it comes through this baby, this tiny baby who lived on earth, who loved people better than they deserved, right? And loved us enough to die for us. That's what Christmas does. It brings us back to the fact that peace without Jesus isn't possible, but peace with Jesus is fulfilling, right? It's what ultimately will satisfy our soul, no matter what's going on around us. So if you're looking for peace this season, I would say it's not in a year-end bonus, right? It's not in some crazy destination vacation. Those are all great things, right? It's not in... Um, getting a certain law passed. It's no, those, none of those things. It's in Jesus Christ. And then, by all means, pursue what is good otherwise. But the peace comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so grateful to know that um, people are people are people. Uh, it can be so hard to understand cultures that are removed from us by distance and time. Um, but the things, things that we found people struggle with in 600 BC, in the first century, in 21st century America, all tend to be the same thing. We're looking out for number one. We're worried about ourselves. But what you've asked us is to look up. Just look up. Look past those things. And see that there is hope and there is peace that is available through Jesus Christ. Through the hope that we have in Him. And I pray for the people in this room. Maybe if someone has walked in for the first time. This, this might be their first Christmas in a long time. They've come to church. We're grateful for that. And, and God, I pray peace for them. And hope for their lives. And for those who maybe have been doing the same thing for, for decades. I pray this Christmas season might be a renewed um, soul rest for us. Lord, thank you for this day, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.